And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Hi, good morning. Welcome to uh, the uh, beginning of the end of uh, the summer of uh, 2023. Here we are, uh, August uh, 21st. Got one more uh, weekend to go in uh, August before uh, we have uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, financial markets uh, certainly not giving us uh, the quiet that uh, we sometimes anticipate uh, during the uh, summer months. Uh, we're seeing uh, interest rates increase. We're seeing equity market volatility. But we are seeing uh, what we have typically seen in uh, many Augusts, which is uh, a lower volume experience. So it has been uh, quieter in terms of uh, in terms of the participants uh, participating in the markets. Uh, perhaps that's added to the volatility, but we are in a period where uh, we've had a, a tremendous move up in uh, interest rates, and uh, we are digesting uh, that uh, increase. At the same time, uh, we're uh, analyzing uh, the paradigm shift uh, from a period of extremely low interest rates for an extremely long period of time. Um, and what that uh, may mean both for uh, equity and uh, and bond markets. Uh, this morning, I am going to talk uh, a good bit about uh, the bond markets and the rise in interest rates, in particular the rise in the treasury rates and the short-term treasury rates and what uh, I think that that uh, could mean for uh, financial markets in the uh, short-term and longer-term. And then uh, we will uh, touch on uh, what's going on this week especially with uh, at the end of the week, we get uh, Chairman uh, Powell with his speech at Jackson Hole. And then a couple of ideas from Barron's, uh, a growth stock idea, value stocks, and uh, we'll talk about a stock that offers growth and value potential. And then we'll turn it over to Brad to get his insights. So another event taking place uh, this uh, weekend um, was the uh, weather pattern in uh, Southern California, where uh, Folks there experienced a tropical storm, a tremendous amount of rain. Also uh, got what they're saying is an unrelated uh, earthquake a little north of uh, Los Angeles. Fortunately, it was uh, not uh, dangerous from a uh, life-threatening standpoint, um, either the uh, tropical storm or the earthquake. But this is a weather event that hasn't happened in uh, almost 80 years. And why do I mention it? Well, Predicting the weather and having unusual events and trying to forecast is really uh, one of the uh, big uh, de common denominators we have with financial markets. We as investors are trying to anticipate what the future will look like and to position our portfolios accordingly. If we're aware of it or not, we are constantly as investors measuring probabilities and pricing the chances in of future events into our current decision making. Meteorologists are engaged in a similar exercise to predict long and short-term weather patterns. So one of the basic models we use in finance to assess uh, how to uh, look at the present and future, what is it that we are looking for in terms of a required or expected rate of return on our investment? And as uh, folks in finance, whether you've gone and studied finance or you're uh, uh, an investor who's just using, uh, you know, life experience or common sense, um, one of the things that you're, in a sense, using in your brain is something known as the capital asset pricing model, CAPM, um, which has become one of the uh, fundamental tenets uh, of finance to uh, help folks who model um, say, hey, what is the return or expected return I want on any specific investment in order for this investment to uh, to make sense? And a crucially important input into the capital 
asset pricing model, perhaps the key input, is known as the risk-free rate of return. And currently, the risk-free rate of return, depending on uh, what you're looking at, is is uh, arguably, although without a lot of great deal of argument, is somewhere between five and five and a half percent is your uh, risk-free rate of return, meaning what could you earn on a, a short-term treasury, and uh, that is now north of five percent. And this is significant because if we go back uh, just 18 months ago, when we're calculating what that risk-free rate of return is, it is near or at zero. So why is this so important? Well, what it means is the rate of return that we as investors will demand in return for access to our hard-earned money is now significantly higher than it was 18 months ago. In other words, the substitution effect is starting to play a crucial role in our investing decisions. In other words, why would you as an investor invest in anything? It could be real estate, it could be equities, it could be uh, you know your brother-in-law's uh, new business uh, where he wants to open a bakery, whatever it is. If you are not going to return or get a return on your investment uh, meaningfully north of 5.5%, why would you make the investment? A few months ago, you might have had a different calculation in your head. Now, currently, we are starting to say to ourselves, hey, this isn't a few months ago. Inflation is not running at 8 or 9%. A few months ago, the risk-free rate of return was up dramatically. It was 4, 4.5%. But back then, you may have had some incentive to take some risk on your brother-in-law's bakery. You know why? Because you say to yourself, hey, the risk-free rate of return is 4.5%. Inflation's running at 8%. Even if I invest in these treasury bills, I'm still losing 3.5%. Today, that, that, that thought process is a lot different. Just a few months ago, you had an incentive to take a chance because most folks don't like to lock themselves into something that is a loss. Most investors don't want to have a guaranteed after inflation return of negative three, three and a half percent, even though the brother-in-law's bakery may be a risky investment. You might say, you know what? Let's just take a chance. Uh, let's, in, let's invest with him. And uh, we'll give them some money um, because at least we know we're not locking ourselves into a negative, even though you know that it may not be the uh, greatest investment. But here we are uh, just a, a few months later, and we are in a situation where we know that we are getting positive returns relative to inflation because now we are in an environment where we have a, a, a risk-free rate of return of 5.5%, and it is higher than the expected inflation rate, which by all measures is somewhere between 3 and 4% uh, going forward is what most folks think market, uh, quote-unquote, experts, economists expect inflation is currently at. So currently, if you're getting 5.5%, you are earning a positive rate of return. And this is something that is unique in modern uh, in the modern economy uh, since we've uh, hit the uh, 21st century, where we are earning positive real returns on our money. Go back uh, to 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, almost 20 years ago, and you were still in a situation where the rate of return on your on your cash was at or below the inflation rate. In fact, we got used to earning negative returns on our cash. Uh, we got used to earning 1% or 2% on our investments when inflation was running running at 
So we got used to zero returns or, or negative uh, real returns. Therefore, any of you on this call who are listening who are under the age of 40 have not seen a market like this. We, as humans, employ a recency bias. So even those folks who are older who are listening um, are thinking to themselves, whether they're aware of it or not, that I expect the past to continue. I expect my investment decisions are going to be based on the fact that I am going to earn negative real returns on my investment. And if you're going to earn negative real returns, meaning after inflation returns on your investment, you're more likely to take risk. You're more likely to participate in equity markets. You're more likely to make real estate investments. And what we're seeing now, after 20 years of at or near zero or negative real returns, we are starting to see a change in investor behavior. We're starting to see investors start to look at the returns that they can earn in the fixed income or bond market. Uh, Brad was telling me uh, when I was in New York the other day uh, that uh, he's uh, been out and about in New York City, and what he's starting to hear are conversations not about the uh, the latest SPAC or electric vehicle stock when he's sitting in a restaurant that's uh, crowded with investors. Um, what he's hearing are folks talking about and bragging about the fact that, hey, I uh, locked myself into a 15-year municipal bond that's giving me 4% triple tax-free. Or I went out and put a lot of my cash in my uh, and I substituted uh, some of my investments into uh, the treasury market. And I'm getting a, a laddered portfolio of 3, 6, 12, 1, 2, 3-year treasuries or tips. Um, and I'm getting myself uh, 5% returns on my cash. Um, that's what folks are talking about. That's what folks are bragging about to their friends. Wow, what a change! What a difference uh, a, uh, a a year makes uh, in terms of uh, in terms of how people are thinking about things. So this reallocation of capital, depending on on your expectations and depending upon what you think is going to happen going forward, um, could have a meaningful effect on future equity prices and a meaningful effect on the economy. Uh, meaning that we could start to see a real sea change in how investors begin to uh, allocate their capital. If, uh, if you're thinking about uh, investing in a business and it's capital intensive, you've got to think to yourself, hey, I need to earn at least 6%. That's only taking a little bit of risk before I even think of making that investment. So think about if you're a corporation, if you're Coca-Cola, John Deere, um, whoever, whomever the corporation is. And you're thinking about a new project. Uh, you're thinking about uh, a new building. Well, you have to think to yourself, is this project or is this building going to be a better use of my capital than it is if I just leave my money with the treasury or I just invest my money with the local municipality and earn tax-free interest? And if the decision at the end of that contemplation about that project or that investment is, hey, this is not worth it. This investment is not likely to produce a meaningful return over 6%, then that project, that investment does not get done. This is something very different than just 12, 18, 24 months ago, and we'll start to see the impact and effects of this on the economy going forward as, uh, as we start to see the, the sinking in of the reality that interest rates are higher uh, than they were just uh, just uh, 12 months ago, 18 months ago, and that those real interest rates, what uh, what some are calling uh, the the neutral rate, uh, are positive 
for the first time in almost 20 years. And earning a positive real interest rate is, is meaningful and is uh, impactful. So as we digest this news this morning um, and take a look at financial markets, uh, what we're seeing right now is we are seeing uh, futures are in the positive. Dow futures uh, right now uh, are trading about 100 points uh, to the black, uh, about four-tenths of a percent higher. S&P futures are up 22. NASDAQ futures up about 103 points. Uh, stock uh, market uh, seems to, at least to this morning, um, be thinking about buying on the dip. Uh, markets being boosted by a price target increase at HBC for NVIDIA, which reports earnings after the close on Wednesday, and HBC raising their price target to 780 um, from 600. People's Bank of China lowered its one-year prime rate by 10 basis points to 345, while the five-year rate was left unchanged at 420 against expectations of four bigger cuts. Taking a look at those overseas markets, uh, China disappointed uh, by the uh, lack of a cut in the longer-term rates uh, there, and we are seeing uh, the Shanghai down over 1%, uh, Hong Kong down 1.8%. Um, taking a look at India, the markets there are up slightly, and in Europe we are seeing uh, markets uh, up anywhere between one half and one and a half percent. We are seeing the Treasury market here uh, negative. Two-year yield is up to a 496. So again, back to that uh, commentary on interest rates: the two-year Treasury is almost five percent, and the 10-year is up five, five basis points, and we're looking at uh, 430. Ten-year now is up over one percentage point in just the last quarter, in just the last three months uh, on the uh, on the tenure. Individual stocks in the news, um, we talked about NVIDIA, Palo Alto Network, symbol P-A-N-W. They beat by 15 cents, uh, reported revenues in line, guided first quarter above consensus, um, but did guide revenues uh, next quarter below consensus. Um, and uh, we are seeing the stock, though, react positively. It's up over 10% uh, or north of uh, 20 points uh, for uh, Palo Alto uh, Networks uh, this morning. A big uh, decliner this morning is NAPCO Security Systems, symbol Nancy, Sam, Sam, Charlie. Uh, that stock's down over 30%, uh, down over 13 points. They guided fourth quarter revenue below consensus, so they, they did raise their dividend. Uh, to eight cents a share, which is an increase of about 28%. We'll see if uh, NAPCO is uh, um, a suffering as a result of competition. Um, they are a company that provides alarm services, or whether or not uh, folks are cutting out uh, some of their uh, discretionary spending and uh, spending less on uh, arming their homes. News this morning: Bloomberg reporting that uh, China is urging its banks to increase lending to boost the uh, recovery there. Uh, New York Times uh, saying that the U.S., Japan, and South Korea, who met this weekend uh, at Camp David, have expanded a mutual security arrangement. Uh, CNN talking about the new coronavirus uh, variant uh, that's circulating, and scientists are uh, monitoring that. Uh, mentioned uh, the tropical storm in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, quietly last week, uh, Bitcoin um, had its uh, worst week since November, uh, Bitcoin uh, trading down uh, over $4,000 uh, to uh, south of $30,000. I think last I looked, it was around $26,000 for a uh, Bitcoin. So moving on to uh, Barron's uh, this morning. Uh, Barron's uh, 
talking about uh, what uh, what I was alluding to in a different uh, way, but uh, but coming to a similar conclusion um, that the stock market has a real problem, and they call it a real yield problem. With yields rising, stocks have real competition from bonds in a way they haven't for over 15 years. Ten-year um, Treasury, they, at the time of this uh, article was written, was four and a quarter. Now we're looking at 4.3 percent. Um, and uh, Barron saying that's a nice payout, especially with st- stocks appearing pricey. Uh, they say it's a big reason that last week the Dow fell 2.2 percent, the S&P lost 2.1, and the Nasdaq dropped 2.6 There are several forces uh, behind the recent move up in uh, in Treasury yields. Uh, this article goes on to say, um, and uh, some of those are technical. Some we've talked about before. Um, one of which is uh, that the Japanese have increased their target rate on their interest rates. Uh, you may say to yourself, well, what does that have to do with U.S. interest rates? Well, Japanese rates have been really low. So uh, what uh, some investors did is they borrowed money in yen in Japan and uh, got real low uh, borrowing rates by shorting uh, Japanese uh, bonds. And what they did is they turned around and they bought U.S. assets, including U.S. bonds. Uh, when the Japanese raise their rates, well, the cost to borrow goes, uh, goes up and, uh, and, uh, that, uh, therefore, uh, makes that transaction less profitable. And you start to say to yourself, maybe I should unwind, uh, this trade if, uh, if you shorted Japanese, uh, bonds and bought U.S. bonds. So perhaps some of the, uh, uh, some of the selling in U.S. bonds due to that. Secondarily, uh, weighing on U.S. Treasuries, we had a downgrade by Fitch to uh, U.S. bond markets. Whether or not that had a meaningful effect on uh, folks' appetite for treasuries is hard to say. But nevertheless, uh, a negative uh, out there uh, for uh, U.S. uh, Treasury bonds. Then also, we've had a significant increase in supply, as well as the prospects that supply will remain uh, robust uh, for uh, as far as the eyes can see. And therefore, uh, with the the fact that we're going to see more issuance, uh, perhaps uh, people are demanding more return um, in anticipation of there being more supply. And perhaps uh, the greatest reason that uh, inflation uh, has, uh, that, that yields have ticked higher is the expectation that inflation uh, will remain higher uh, for longer. Um, and uh, that uh, seems to be at least the uh, prevailing thought process behind many market participants that uh, the expectation is that we will see elevated uh, economic growth, elevated inflation uh, for a period of time that uh, is greater than was previously anticipated, and therefore we will see a higher uh, higher interest rate uh, for treasuries um, for, uh, for the foreseeable future, and that perhaps uh, the greatest reason that rates are uh, backing up. Um, is on the anticipation that we won't get rate cuts or low inflation uh, as uh, soon as uh, or was previously anticipated. And therefore, um, all eyes on Friday will be at uh, Jerome Powell, who's speaking at Jackson Hole. All uh, leaders of the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve have spoken at Jackson Hole since 1982. Um, and this tradition began with Paul Volcker. And uh, the reason that uh, the Chairman back then, Paul Volcker, attended the Jackson Hole Conference, uh, rumor has it, is because he is a uh, avid fly fisherman. So they held this conference in Jackson Hole because they have uh, uh, very uh, very good fly fishing there. And uh, they encouraged Chairman Volcker to attend. And that began uh, 
the uh, the annual symposium in Jackson Hole and the uh, tradition that the uh, chair of the Federal Reserve speaks there. Now, last year, uh, Chairman Powell uh, gave a nine-minute speech that some called a rifle shot, uh, where he uh, suggested that uh, interest rates here in the U.S. Uh, would be moving up, and they'd be moving up at the expense of the economy. So regardless of uh, what was taking place economically, uh, he was going to squash inflation. And uh, many are calling that the beginning of the rise in, uh, in, in, in longer-term treasuries on a sustained basis. Um, and that uh, started with the speech last year. So this year, all eyes are back on Chairman Powell. Will he uh, dial back what he said last year? Um, expectations are he's going to have to walk a fine line this year because uh, the waters are a lot muddier than they were last year when inflation was roaring. Um, now inflation uh, is mitigating, but uh, there are signs that it's uh, sticky. So Chairman Powell wants to be careful in talking about the progress that's been made, inflation having come down from almost 9% to uh, south of 4%. Um, on the flip side, what he does not want to do is uh, declare uh, victory all clear. And uh, and therefore, uh, um, if that were the case, uh, expectations are that uh, markets would be off to the races and perhaps inflation would uh, would, would be back uh, off to the races. On the other hand, what he doesn't want to possibly do as well is scare markets that he's going to over-tighten or keep rates too high for too long and uh, drive us into recession, since that would be a negative uh, for markets as well. So as you can see, based on those two choices, it's challenging for the equity markets. Um, on one hand, if he were to be too tough and suggest that rates are going to stay higher for longer or too hawkish, uh, that would not be good for the markets because the economy would say, hey, uh, we're going to see a real slowdown because rates are going to uh, really come and bite us. On the flip side, uh, if he's, uh, if he's uh, very uh, cautious uh, about what he says and doesn't suggest that rates are going to drop, well, then equity markets have to contend with uh, these higher rates uh, for longer and he can't be too bullish on the economy. Uh, so uh, Fed chair uh, has to really walk this tightrope this year uh, to a much greater extent than he's had in uh, some time. So Chairman Powell's uh, political skills will be uh, on display and uh, tested um, come Friday. A couple of uh, equity ideas uh, from Barron's, and then we'll turn things uh, over to uh, Brad. Um, I said uh, we have got a growth. Uh, thought we've got value in growth and we've got value. I will start with uh, Barron's thoughts on some growth stocks. Um, and Barron's uh, speaking uh, positively about Visa, symbol V, and MasterCard, symbol uh, MA. Visa and MasterCard for decades have had a near duopoly on electronic payments, and investors have paid a premium to own their shares. Uh, a trifecta of threats from Congress, cryptocurrencies, and financial technology companies uh, seem poised to drain their moat. But Barron says, don't be fooled. The impending doom of card networks is a story that has been told for decades, and they believe their positions remain strong. For now, card network profits are mostly a fraction of consumer spending and processing fees. Last quarter, Visa earned $4.2 billion on $8.1 billion in revenue. MasterCard's number is $2.8 billion in revenue, uh, $2.8 billion net income on $6.3 billion in revenue. Those fat profit margins of 52 and 44% respectively are maintained because the merchants that pay the fees have little choice. Cash accounted for only 18% of all payments in 2022, down 13% from 2016, according to the San Francisco Federal Reserve. 
while credit card use rose by the same amount and now makes up 31% of all transactions. Visa trades at a multiple of about 25 times next 12-month earnings, and MasterCard is at about 29 times. Barron suggests that both look cheap relative to history. Visa's forward earnings multiple is about 31% higher than the S&P 500, compared with its five-year premium of roughly 53%. Similar picture for MasterCard, um, which is at a 52% premium compared with a historical premium of 75%. Stock that uh, I would put into the value and growth category, uh, Barron's uh, talked about Cisco, uh, symbol CSCO. This is a network equipment giant. Uh, the stock has been a laggard so far this year in 2023, gaining 15%. I know it's hard to believe that's a laggard, but the NASDAQ is up 27%. Uh, Cisco is trading for less than 14 times forward earnings, under four times sales, and that for a company that offers nearly 3% dividend yield and is aggressively buying back stock. Um, on the growth side, a piece of good news is that Cisco said that they had more than $500 million in orders to date for hardware gen hardware targeted at generative AI-related data centers. Cisco's uh, chief financial officer, Scott Heron, uh, told Barron's that uh, AI-related business will meaningfully show up in the company's financial results by the end of fiscal 2024 and into fiscal 2025, that they see a multi-year opportunity ahead and that they are well-positioned to win in that space. Uh, Barron's concludes the bottom line. Cisco is driving higher margins and profit growth even though their sales uh, remain flattish and uh, we're not too far out from a material kick to the top line as cloud companies buy up networking gear to support the growing demand for generative AI computing. If Wall Street starts to view Cisco as an AI play, uh, the stock could uh, potentially get on a roll, they conclude. And finally, in the value category, uh, two very unloved uh, stocks that were uh, greatly loved uh, just a few years ago and that is Moderna, symbol Mike Roger November Apple, and uh, the other uh, COVID vaccine uh, discoverer or maker is BioNTech, symbol Boy Nancy Tom X-Ray. Both these companies have a lot of cash and Barron says offer a great security blanket for uh, investors. Uh, they are both uh, large cash-rich companies. Um, however, you wouldn't know it by looking at their stocks, although both rallied last week on reports of higher U.S. COVID cases. Moderna is at about 103, which means it's down about 43% so far year to date, making it one of the worst performers in the S&P 500. BioNTech is at about 111, down 26% year to date. Both have fallen from favor as investors have ratcheted down their expectations of global COVID vaccine administration this year and in the future. The issues include vaccine fatigue, diminished fears of contracting the virus, and a perception of limited benefits of COVID boosters for those who are already vaccinated. Barron suggests that's a short-sighted view. Moderna and Germany's based uh, BioNTech are being little, little credit for their cash positions, still durable COVID franchises, um, and, uh, and their well-funded drug Pipelines. They say both stocks look appealing at now depressed prices. The market views them as one-trick ponies and that the ponies are getting tired, says Michael Pye, an investment analyst. Um, what he says the market is missing are the huge piles of cash and genuine research and development platforms and pipelines. 
The case for both stocks starts with their cash hoards. Moderna has $14.6 billion of cash, and cash equivalents on its balance sheet are about 35% of its market capitalization. BioNTech is even more flush with $20 billion of cash, um, or almost 75% of its market value. Neither company has any more uh, has any current uh, long-term debt. BioNTech, uh, despite the fact that the uh, COVID vaccine uh, demand has dropped, remains profitable and is expected to earn about $5 this year and $3 next year. Moderna, on the other hand, has moved into the red and is expected to lose $4 a share this year and $5 a share next year, and that's because they are spending aggressively on research and development. One risk for uh, cash-rich drug companies is that they could blow their money on expensive acquisitions with uncertain payoffs. Neither company says it wants to do a major deal. Instead, Moderna is developing a host of vaccines and treatments based on the messenger RNA technology that underpins its COVID vaccine. These vaccines include uh, vaccines for uh, respiratory uh, syncytial virus, flu, combinations of COVID and flu vaccine and a cancer treatment that is being tested in clinical trials with Merck's blockbuster drug, uh, Keytruda. Uh, Barron's goes on to conclude um, that uh, BioNTech may be the safer play due to its high cash balance and continued profitability, and that Moderna might be the more interesting play while it is burning cash now. It has a larger and more advanced drug pipeline. It has six treatments in Phase 3. Uh, which is the final stage of testing before potential approval um, by the Federal Drug Administration. Another catalyst for these stocks, they conclude, uh, could be a push uh, by an activist investor uh, for more restraints uh, spending, uh, something with that BioNTech has uh, already done, um, but uh, Moderna moving forward uh, more aggressively. I'm uh, going to turn it over to uh, Brad to give us some more insights uh, this morning. Good morning, Brad. Morning, Keith. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Just a little story. I drove my son down to New Orleans this weekend, and as a municipal bond specialist, it was great to put the face of the towns we drove through with the names. I highly, I highly recommend these drives, seeing the country. There's no better education of seeing how different parts of the country live, and I don't recommend doing it the way we did in 22 hours, though, but uh, really seeing the country is an unbelievable experience, and I can't wait for uh, my next exploration. Back to the markets. Uh, the 10-year Treasury has sold off almost 5% in the last month, with the yields now hovering above 4.25%. Uh, this will not be your normal quiet summer week. This, uh, we have a ton of economic numbers uh, coming out, and Powell is speaking Friday at Jackson Hole, which will be very telling about where we're heading from here. Over the weekend, J.P. Morgan and Alliance and Allianz confirmed to, confirmed uh, that they are pounding the table on Treasuries. I hate to catch a falling knife, which I've been trying to do, but I tend to agree with them, and I'm positioned that way as well. We were reaching for 4% with junk just a year or two ago. We now have the opportunity with non-callable Treasuries. This is this one we can also average down and know that we will 100% get our money back at maturity. If we don't get our money back, I guarantee it will be a disaster everywhere else. So I do like treasuries, and I trust that our government will pay us back. I still do like municipals. Municipals are fairly priced relative to treasuries here. Uh, municipals have had a, uh, a, a sell-off, obviously, with treasuries, but uh, unlike municipals usually do, this was an orderly sell-off. 
On a 30-year municipal, we are now getting better than 4.25%, which is well above 7% for many high net worth investors in high tax states. So municipals at these levels still make sense for those types of buyers. But back to treasuries, I would absolutely consider looking beyond treasury bills. Treasury bills have not moved in the last couple of months. Even though you get paid more, if the Fed's goal is to truly squash inflation, as Keith mentioned, you know you, you now have the opportunity to buy treasuries and actually beat the rate of inflation. If you have some with a 10-year time horizon and an IRA, why not dollar-cost average 10-year treasuries at this point? Do not look at price fluctuation, but in 10 years, you're guaranteed to get your money back. For more investors, for more aggressive investors, you may even be able to use Treasury Zero coupon strips to leverage that money a little bit. I, or anyone for that matter, has no right to say when or where the bottom will be uh, for, for bonds. But I do believe that we are certainly at levels that make sense to consider this strategy. On a final note, if rates do continue to scream higher, I'm pretty certain that the stock market will be badly hurt and our country will have its hands full trying to pay interest on all the bonds they're issuing at these new levels. Thanks again, and I'll hand it back to Keith. Thanks, Brad. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantock. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.